Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, I'll take a look at the leaner, more boutique strategy on the cards for Etihad, while Tom looks into Finnair's new COVID status policy. Joe will update us with the latest um, on US startup Breeze Airways, and I'll look at what's happening with Aeromexico's Boeing order. Finally, I'll take a quick look at the 400-seat Russian-made widebody that you'll probably never get to fly. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I gather it's been a very, very sort of exciting week in terms of Etihad. Well, exciting if you're an A350, but not so exciting for other planes, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Etihad has been in the midst of something of a radical transformation programme. And, you know, this, this was something put in place a couple of years ago on the back of several kind of consecutive years of of big losses. Um, And as much as the pandemic has crippled aviation, it has actually served to accelerate this uh, this shakeup at Etihad. So most notably, the fleet is getting a lot of changes. Um, They said goodbye to their A330s earlier this year. Um, But Tony Douglas, speaking at the World Aviation Festival last week, said uh, that it's not over yet. Now, Tony's obviously the airline CEO. He knows what's going on. Um, And yeah, you'd hope. <laughs> and we already mentioned last week that their A330s had been removed from their website, mm. um, and at least one has flown to tr- to rule for long term storage. Um, but Douglas made it clear that we're not going to see the A380 with Etihad again, or certainly not very likely. Um, and in his words, he said they're no longer commercially sustainable. So we've taken the difficult decision to park those machines indefinitely. Mm. And I think in aviation subtext, indefinitely usually means forever. <laughs> so never, it's, it's a real never, shame. Never. Yeah, some of those were really young planes as well. You know, mm. they were like four or five years old. So I know, it's really sad. It is sad. It seems like an awful waste. But, uh, you know, this is all part of the fleet simplification that's going mm. on at Etihad. Um, and it means the end of not just the A380 and the A330s, but something else as well. Because in the same interview, he said that Etihad will say goodbye to the 777-300ER by the end of this year. So by this time next year, all Etihad will have is Dreamliners uh, in terms of its wide-body fleet. So Mm. um, at the moment, it's got 40 787 Dreamliners, and he said that they will be complemented by the incoming A350-1000s, but long-term, that is going to be it. That is the shape of its long-haul fleet. Um, So they're kind of of going the same sort of direction as Qatar there, I guess. I think so. Yeah, it seems to be a very similar sort of strategy with, the, mm. you know, a, a few big, big wide bodies for kind of big routes and then mostly the agile Dreamliners for everything else. But, uh, you know, there had been some questions over the A350's future at Etihad mm. because they, they initially ordered a massive 64 of the type, um, but then they cancelled like 42, I think it was, in early 2019. Yeah. Um, By September last year, or no, that year, in fact, so more than a year and a half ago, those aircraft had started to be delivered, but they they never ended up in Qatar, did they? In uh, Etihad, did they? They were being flown straight to a storage facility in Bordeaux. Um, Mm. And to date, five in total have been delivered straight to that storage facility. 
Um, however, Tony Douglas says they're still part of the plan. He says in the future, what you'll see of us is a very focused, very disciplined operating model that's heavily built around the fleet type of the 787 Dreamliner and the A350-1000. Mm. Well, so they are going to, yeah, it is. They are going to be taken up, but I think the idea is to survive the pandemic on the Dreamliner and then bring in the big birds once the international market starts to pick up. Mm. Um, but it was interesting. He talked an awful lot about being a mid-sized carrier. Um, so I think, you know, in the past, Etihad has tried very hard to compete with its neighbours, you know, Emirates and, and Qatar, and tried yeah. to scale up and embrace the biggest beautiful mentality. Um, but what he wants now is to be very proud to be a mid-sized carrier, targeting kind of obsessive customer service. And I think, you know, anyone who's flown Etihad knows they are really good at customer service. Um, and they're kind of looking at the boutique end of the market. So it's all about... A really great passenger experience a really mm. beautiful interior um but not this kind of huge hub and spoke thing that that they're trying to compete with other airlines on so carving out a new niche i think watch the space <laughs> <laughs> so that's that that's uh, what's going on at etihad and uh, they're, they're due to complete this transformation plan by 2023 at the latest and by mm. then yeah as i say it'll just be dreamliners and a350s and wonderful customer service hopefully mm. so uh, tell us all about well, finair and what they plan to yeah. do with uh, getting international travel restarted so sooner than 2023, 20, uh, actually in May, Finnair is set to begin accepting vaccination certificates as proof of your COVID-19 status. So, of course, the rules applicable to certificates are usually set on a country-to-country -country basis. Um, so it's interesting, Finnair at the moment is only using... Um, using the certificates for travel to Finland. But I gather at the moment you still need a negative test to get into Finland. So that's yeah, like, like one to so. watch. But um, basically, the airline's been working with the Finnish Institute of Health and Welfare. And from May the 11th, vaccinated individuals flying to Finland will be able to travel with a vaccine certificate rather than previously, you know, you've had to go out of your way to get a COVID test so that you can even get on the plane. Yeah, Absolutely. What I found interesting was that only the first jab is going to be required to fly with the airline. So even if you're on one of the two jab systems, you know, once you've had the first one, um, you're good to go. Although not quite, because you will have had to have um, had the dose at least 21 days before the date of travel to be eligible. Right. But I guess for a lot of people, they'll have already had the second by then, unless yeah. you're in England, of course. Yeah, well, it's. Um, I, I guess um, a lot of people would have had the second one by then. But, you know, um, the bad news is you're probably not going to be able to use it, Joe. Why is that? So according to the airline, um, the certificate needs to show the passenger's name, date of birth, vaccine producer, and the time and place of vaccination and who issued the certificate. But the sort of little certificates that the NHS has been given in, given in England so far, they don't show a date or, of birth or a place of vaccination. So, No, they literally just scribble your name on yeah. the type of vaccine you got and the date you got it and that's it. And they're just yeah. little kind of cardboard cards that uh, don't look very official at all. Mm. Well, I mean, but everyone has them. So. <laughs> but I mean, you know, like it's it's almost certain that other countries and thus airlines are going to follow suit with this. But it's I think it's more a question of when rather than if. But, yeah, you know, there's still many questions that need to be answered before it becomes widespread. Because, you know, taking the example of the NHS certificates not meeting Finland's requirements, 
you know, like that's a big portion of um, of, of travelers, um, maybe not necessarily on Finnair, but still, um, you know, like a big portion on the UK route, at least, that aren't going to be able to use it. So, yeah, you know, yeah. we're going to have to find some way to to sort of meet in the middle. And the EU is currently working on this with their digital green certificate, which I actually read into the other day. And I'm very excited about this because the EU's plan is that it's not just going to be um, about whether you've got the vaccine, but you can also use this green certificate to show whether you've had a negative test or if you've even had COVID-19 and recovered, because then you'll have the, the antibodies. Um, okay. And basically, the idea of it is that it's going to re resume freedom of movement in the EU. So, you know, like the EU's going to come up with this system. And if you have a green certificate, every country is going to, within every member state, is going to be obliged to take you. And if not, they're going to have to sit down in front of the EU Commission and the other countries and say why they don't think that they should have to do this. So, Yikes, I mean, okay. Yeah, and we're not going to get it because Brexit. <laughs> I guess, but, you know. <laughs> we could always adopt it. But, uh, I mean, this is going to become a problem. You know, this is something IAT has been mm. um, wondering about and warning about for months now is that yeah. there is no standard, you know. And the problem is the more people that are getting vaccinated, the bigger the problem gets because yeah. not only have you got to create some sort of internationally recognised certificate for people getting the vaccine, you've also got to find a way to get the certificate issued to all those people that have had it already mm. um, and that number's growing by the millions every day so yeah. it's a it's a big old can of worms and something that I'm sure will eventually come out in the wash but it's uh, it's a challenge you know I don't think we're ever gonna see like a sort of standardized approach to this it's just I think it's too much of an ask for the industry yeah, well, it's the same well, it's, reason it's that the there's not is, is, really a standardised booking system yeah. or a standardised entry requirement because it's just too hard. There's too yeah. many countries involved and too many governments involved. And that's the thing, governments are involved. It's not just the industry doing it because if it was just the industry, IATA could probably get everyone on board quite easily saying, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that in aviation. Nope. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, oh, a new I've airline great, coming. I've got a great segue here. Don't miss oh, it. Oh, go on. You so and I your was segues. reading actually that <laughs> um, the risk of COVID transmission and stuff is much less outdoors because there's usually quite a good um, breeze in the air. Oh my goodness, Tom! That's such a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do that one. I'm sorry. I make no apologies. <laughs> well, while I'm sitting in my beer garden up the road and I'm thinking about the nice cool breeze, I'll uh, maybe be mulling over this new airline starting up in the US. So, um, as you might have, may have heard, um, Breeze Airways received federal approval for its launch last month, and various boxes are being ticked and it mm. seems like everything's falling into place. Um, but there's still a lot to know about this new airline. And so far, we know it's got a couple of E-190s that have been delivered already and a couple of E-195s and there are more on the way. So it's going to launch as an Embraer airline. Uh, we still do not know its routes precisely. But mm. what we did find out this week, um, the founder, David Nealman, who's well known in the aviation world, um, said that 80% of its launch routes will have no competition. So he's hmm. really sort of picking out those um, unserved routes in the United, in the United States. And, so uh, we're not going to see them know, on like JFK to LAX. <laughs> 
Absolutely not. No, no, it's um, quite different. They've always mm. said that their focus is going to be on building up a network that targets small and medium-sized cities. Yeah. Um, and particularly they're interested in those that have either lost air service over the last few years um, in all the market consolidation that's gone on or else have very much too little air service. So, um, you know, it's all about non-stop point-to-point routes mm. um, and it's positioning itself as a nice airline, whatever that means. <laughs> okay. Is that like an acronym yeah. for... Not in in certain yeah. economies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we'll try and uh, do acronyms for nice um, uh, at some other point when Tom's brain's working. So I, I guess it's kind of in line with the JetBlue and WestJet ethos, which of course are other Neilman Airlines. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of nice, aren't they? They're mm. friendly and it's all about customer service and passenger experience. So I think it's kind of following in the footsteps of what he does best. Um, he's setting it up as a low-cost airline. But, uh, you know, the thing is, he could command a premium for flying, flying non-stop over connecting routes. Um, you know, and, and he did kind of say that if you're talking about a really small market, not just medium-sized markets, but the little markets, where you have to fly through a hub, it would usually take you like three hours to get to your destination. But, um, you know, Breeze is looking at getting people there in an hour and 10 minutes. Mm. And I do think that there'll be a market to kind of maybe ask a little bit more. And I think people will pay it. Um, but we, we have yet to see because tickets are not on sale. Um, he did say there will be no overlap with JetBlue. Obviously, everybody's keen to know if they're going to be competing, but I don't think that's where he is. His his head's somewhere completely different and he's found these routes and he's going to fly them. So um, we are awaiting official confirmation, but the airline has been advertising for flight attendants mm. um, and eagle-eyed readers have noted that their stations will be at Charleston, possibly also at Panama City and at Tampa in Florida. So mm. um, we got our route analyst, James Pearson, to crunch the numbers um, and he reckons that Charleston may well be Breeze's first or at least one of its very early airports um, because it was the U- US's fourth fastest growing airport between 2011 and 2019 um, with 77% more seats. Um, and in 2019, around 40% of the passengers flying from Charleston were connecting. Um, so the top unserved routes from there include New Orleans, Hartford and Columbus. They all had over 30,000 connecting passengers from there in 2019. Um, and he also noted that Providence, Kansas City, Austin, Norfolk and Buffalo all had over 20,000 connecting passengers in 2019. So to put that in perspective, when Ryanair launches a new route, um, it looks for a uh, indirect traffic of around 5000 passengers a year. So these okay, are like four that. and yeah, these are like four and six times the size of a route that Ryanair would look to test, you know. They they launch it, see how it goes and then decide if they're going to continue. Hmm. Um so they're pretty solid markets and I think, you know, that's probably what Mr. Neilman's done as well is like really have a look and uh, and you know, tried to identify these places where there are these connecting passengers that aren't otherwise finding a non-stop route. Um, Mm. But that's not the only rumour that's swirling, you know, apart from starting our own rumours about their first routes. (laughs) Um, In Airbus's latest figures for March, there were 20 A22300s ordered for an undisclosed buyer. Oh, I remember that, yeah. 
Yeah, and we were mulling between the team, like, who could it be? Who could it be? Anyway, industry insiders are saying that they could well be for Breeze. Um, and if the deal does come off, it would make Breeze the second largest operator of the A220. Um, so it would be only behind Delta Airlines, who have hmm. a current order of 95. Um, and they'd overtake uh, the fellow Nealman-founded airline JetBlue with its order for 70. Hmm. So uh, exciting times. And with all the bits falling into place and things things really getting started, I think we will see some announcement from Breeze within the next couple of weeks on its routes and ticket sales. So, you know, watch this space, as Tom would say. Well, yeah, I think that sounds quite nice. And I've been sort of beavering away <laughs> in my mind in the past sort of couple of minutes. And I've come up with not international, connections extinct. Oh, nice. I like it. That's <laughs> a really good acronym. You should sell that to Breeze. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about something that's maybe not quite so nice for Boeing. And that was that Aeromexico has podcast. revealed it's reached an agreement to alter its order with the American aircraft manufacturer as part of its sort of ongoing restructuring under Chapter 11. Yeah. So according to the airline, um, it signed a deal that will see it take 24 737 MAX aircraft and four more Boeing 787 Dreamliners. What this basically means is that the the order has been effectively halved because the a total of 60 orders had been made overall and that would have accounted for uh well so far they've taken six aircraft so that would leave 54 aircraft but uh they're only going to take another 24 aircraft now which means 30 aircraft overall from the max so the max order has been halved which isn't great but you know on the on the plus side it looks like the seven 787 Dreamliner order has been uh, boosted because according to Boeing's order book as of the end of March, there's zero outstanding Dreamliner orders from Aeromexico. But as part of this sort of rejigged deal with Boeing, they're now going to take an extra four 787 Dreamliners, um, adding to the current fleet of 18 because remember we saw one leave to go to Comlux. Yeah, which was not retired. Yes, it was was not a retired aircraft. It was just changing owners. Yes. Um, <laughs> but so according to Aeromexico, the order is still sort of very much subject to the approval of the US state's court for the Southern District of New York, which is sort of handling the Chapter 11 restructuring progress. However, it, it, it seems like this is going to get approval because they've done some maths. And how much do you reckon it will lead to in savings for Aeromexico? Uh, 20%? I'm looking for a number. That is a number. Um, <laughs> a, a money that is number. A, number. <laughs> a money number. Um, $10. Okay, so as, as, as Joe is not playing ball, <laughs> the airline <laughs> estimates that the change to its Boeing deliveries will lead to a total savings of some $2 billion. Uh, and this is partly going to come from spending less to lease new, uh, fewer aircraft, but also... Um, the they've said it's the, the the restructure has made it possible for Aeromexico to reduce the cost of leasing eighteen other aircraft in this in its fleet, and I'm not sure how that that comes about, but um, no, I they guess seem it's to have worked it out. Bit of number jiggling with the leaser there. <laughs> yeah, so they currently operate a free type fleet with 107 aircraft, and this consists of 47 Embraer E190s, which you love. <laughs> I do. Are they the um, E2 though? They're not. No, are they? no, they're the they the OG. I particularly like the E2. E, E190s. Um, <laughs> Forty-two Boeing seven three sevens and eighteen seven eight sevens. And since twenty twenty, our wonderful 
Central American and South American um, expert Daniel told me that they'd reduced their fleet by 25 since 2020 as a result of COVID. Um, wow, that's and quite a lot. Saying farewell to sort of the, all of their E190s, um, the previously mentioned 787-8 and some of the older 737-700s. Wow. Mm. But, you know, it's it's not the case over the whole of the Mexican aviation market because Daniel also told me that uh, rival airline Volaris is rapidly expanding and it's going to take eight new Airbus A320neos to end the year with 98 aircraft. So, okay, exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should do more about uh, Mexican aviation and South America because yeah. there's lots of exciting stuff going on down there. But uh, mm. somewhere else where there's uh, not so much exciting stuff usually going on is Russia. Um, we don't often talk about Russia on the podcast, and we probably should because no, I was I was hoping you'd be really impressed that I didn't touch on the A380 and I didn't touch on British Airways. <laughs> it has been a bit of a different podcast this week, hasn't it? It's mm. uh, refreshing. <laughs> um, so don't jinx it. In <laughs> so Russia has an aviation industry. It has an aerospace industry. Illusion is the manufacturer of choice and uh, they've had a few moderately successful aircraft over the years mm. i think you know they were probably more successful far back in history before airbus and boeing took over um but they have been planning uh, a new revival of something that was called the Aleutian 96 um and the il 96 400m was planned to be a four engine passenger plane with capacity for more than 400 people so a real behemoth in terms of uh, passenger capacity there mm. um it was supposed to be flying by the end of this year um but reports coming out of russia is that it, it will not be built it's it's been abandoned i mean i can't imagine why they abandoned it because uh, you know it was a it was a quad jet i mean four engines are better than two of course mm. and it also required three crew in the cockpit i mean you know why wouldn't you want to pay for an extra pilot for the additional two, whatever one, it is three. that third person does yeah exactly <laughs> So all joking aside, you know, it, it did look like a project that was really just being kept on life support for vanity's sake. So it's mm. not a great surprise to see it um, being abandoned. And, you know, we don't need to tell our listeners that quad jets really aren't in vogue right now. You, you get that from the podcast. And, you know, this fact that it needed Maybe a third person in the cockpit, it was just going to be a horribly expensive aircraft to operate in every respect. Mm. Um so it was going to supersede the IL-96-300, which from what I understand, it's been in production since 1993, but it's only sold about 30. Mm. So it wasn't a particularly popular aircraft anyway. Um, it would fly 402 passengers to about 8,700 kilometres. Um, they've been building a prototype in what looks like a shed for many years. There's always some photos floating around of a, yeah, not, not very sophisticated production facility um, with kind of half a plane in it. Um, but they've got no orders for the type and the project mm. costs were getting ridiculous. So it looks like the IL-94-400M will never, ever fly. Or will it? Because um, the company that's making it, which is Veronese, I can't say it, Veronese Aircraft Manufacturing Company or VASO, they are actually going to assemble a working model. In fact, they're okay. going to assemble two. <laughs> and are they, they going to be, be like one-tenth of the size or...? No, like proper ones. Uh, they're going to be delivered to Rossier Airlines for senior governmental transport. 
Um, so they're hoping that they'll be ready to enter service in 2023, which is actually quite soon for a brand mm. new aircraft type. Um, you know, and this could potentially coincide with an uptick in inter international passenger demand. So, you know, maybe the project will be revived once they've made these two VIP jets. Um, but it doesn't really overcome the limitations of the four engines and the, the three people required to fly it. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a surprise that it got abandoned, but maybe it will give Illusion the the space to kind of think about something that is suitable for the modern market. Because I'd love to see more Russian planes, to be honest. Yeah, wouldn't certainly. you, Tom? I don't know. You know, <laughs> no, I'm, you I'm kind of happy with my Airbuses and my Boeings, but <laughs> I think more my... competition's always good. You know, we got the CR929 coming out of China, and you know, if Russia comes up with something as well, maybe it will shake up the uh, the duopoly a little bit, hmm. make them do better. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for for today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.